this time of worship. And I, I pray that is our desire today, that we will be overcome by the presence of our God and be transformed through Him. This is when we release our children volunteers to Children's Church. I want to invite you guys to head back in that direction. Those of us that remain, if you'll take your Bible and find Matthew chapter 5. We're still walking through this Sermon on the Mount. This sermon that Jesus is preaching, but it's also a time of teaching his disciples. Remember at the very beginning it says that he gathered his disciples to himself and he began to teach them. So the things that he's teaching here, he's teaching specifically to his disciples, but he's also letting those that were gathered, those thousands that were gathered around him, this great multitude, to hear what it means to be a member of the kingdom of God. And he's, he's working to, to teach them how to become a, a member of the kingdom. Remember, his message from the very beginning is the same as John the Baptist's message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So, so he's describing what it means to repent, being poor in spirit, knowing that we're beggars and we have nothing to offer God but brokenness and a dead spirit and desiring him to make us alive in Christ again. So, so the Beatitudes talk about this relationship with God and then how that transforms our relationship with people. But here he's, he's beginning in the, the next section, he begins to talk about what it means to live that out and what it looks like and what does it mean to repent and be a member of the kingdom. He told us how in the beginning, now he's telling us what it looks like and, and, and dispelling many... Um, misconceptions about what it means to be a member of the kingdom when the Messiah would come. What does that mean for the law? What does that mean for, for our requirement for obedience? What does that mean for sacrifices? And what does it mean for us personally? How is that just supposed to, to affect our lives moving forward when we repent of our sins and accept Christ's gift of salvation that he purchases on the cross? What does that mean for us? And, and today, I think this is a very pertinent, a very timely message for us because there are a whole lot of misconceptions within the church and outside the church what it means to be a follower of Christ. And Jesus has, has just finished in verses 13 through 16 we looked at last week where it says we are the salt and the light of the world. That's who we are when we become a member of the kingdom. We are the salt and the light of the world. We are, we are the one who preserves, comes to preserve that which is dead. I mean, we're the, we're the messengers of, of reconciliation to the world where people become, come from death to life, from the, the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's glorious light. We are the arbiters. We are the, the ones who, who sought the world and preserve it with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we're also those who, who bring the, the truth of God into to the life. And we've got to be careful that we don't let the, the culture and the, the things of this world and even our own uh, voices, our own desire to live like we want to live to contaminate our witness, to contaminate our lives and so make our salt unsalty anymore where people can't see a difference between us and the world. And so he continues on. Now he's going to talk about righteousness. What is this? Is there a requirement for obedience to the word of God? And, and I want to remind you of some verses, some things that Jesus taught. And, and to remind us today that, that there is a definite requirement 
of obedience. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. This is in Matthew 7, 21 and 22. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there is a, a requirement of doing. Jesus said another place in John, he says, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I tell you? James tells us later on, he says, you believe that God is one? You do good. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you think that a faith that doesn't produce works will save you? He said, oh, foolish fellow, don't you understand that faith without works, faith in God that doesn't transform our life, faith that doesn't produce obedience is useless? So, so I, I come to you with this, with, with this truth and a reminder, and Jesus is going to talk about it here in just a second, that obedience to the Word of God is a requirement. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. He says in, in, in this context, in verse 17, where we finished up last week, he says, or excuse me, verse 16, he says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. So we're supposed to do good works. And glorify the Father who is in heaven. We talked about the fact that, that uh, Paul later on says that, that we're to, we're, we're to we're, uh, um, uh, Christ's workmanship, God's workmanship in Christ Jesus. And we're to, to do the works that were prepared for us ahead of time, the good works. So we're supposed to live differently. We're supposed to do good works. But hey, there's a lot of people that do good things. So what's the difference? And, and Jesus, again, is, is, is right up front, at the, the, near the beginning of his ministry. He's been walking and preaching and teaching for a, a good time now before he starts uh, this Sermon on the Mount. And people are beginning to, to, to think, well, man, if he's the Messiah and he's talking about repenting and being a, kingdom, a child of God and having our sins forgiven, then shoot, man, life's going to get easy now. I don't have to worry about going and, and, and uh, uh, having sacrifices at the temple. I don't have to worry about obeying the law. I don't have to worry about keeping the law. I, hey, I can get saved, and man, my life then becomes easy. I can just do what I want to. I don't have to worry about all these requirements of the law because now I'm under grace. Man, that sounds so much like people in the church today. I'm saved. I'm saved. My life doesn't look like it. My attitude doesn't express it. I don't, I don't really have any evidence of my salvation, even though I was saved when I was a kid, and I'm 30, 40 years old now, 50, 60, 80 years old now. I don't really give a rip about the things of God or the, the Word of God, but I'm saved because I got baptized at the church. I'm under grace. It's all good. Jesus is fixing to dispel that, and he started dispelling it from the very beginning because he knows the heart of people. He knows our bent to sinning. He knows that really all we want to do is avoid hell. We want to get to go to heaven when we die and live like we want to in the meantime. That's just our nature. We want to live our life under our own authority and the way we think is right. But Jesus says repentance is more than just saying I'm sorry. Repentance is turning away from our life of sin, turning away from our own authority, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. And so obedience is a requirement 
for the Christian. Jesus says, all of the, the, the apostles teach that without obedience, there probably is no salvation. If you don't care about the things of God, if you don't try and live your life according to the word of God, if you, if you just had a religious experience and then that's the last time you really think about God until you get in a bind or things get in a mess, says you really need to check your salvation because that's not biblical salvation. Biblical salvation produces a life of obedience, not motivated from fear, and that's, that's what we're going to look at today but motivated by love and motivated by what we sang about. The grace, the love, the victory that was won for us in Christ Jesus. That motivates us to obedience. So if you would, if you've, and if you found Matthew chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 17. You would stand with me in honor of reading of God's word. And we're going to see what the Lord says to us today. I'm going to back up to verse 13 because it kind of flows right in. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Verse 17, do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall, come, uh, shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. So the rumor was already going around and the thought process and the, the belief was already going around that Jesus, the Messiah, comes and okay, now the law is no more because the prophets talked about that, that there's coming a day when, when I, will, I will bring a new covenant to the people, that I will give the people a heart of flesh and replace their heart of stone. And so when the Messiah comes, they were looking for the law to be done away with and the prophets to be done away with, that they're no longer important. And so Jesus was saying, wait a minute. The law teaches us of the holiness of God. The law teaches us how we're to live in right relationship with God. The prophets teach us the mind of God and the heart of God, his attitude towards our sin. And, and they, were, they were looking at, at the, the, the coming of the Messiah, this, this new covenant that Jesus was talking about, this repentance of sin for the, for, or the repentance for the forgiveness of our sins and, and, and having salvation, having forgiveness through faith in the Messiah, they were thinking then, okay, well, we don't have to worry about the law. 
We don't have to worry about obedience. We just believe in the Messiah, if this is the Messiah. We just believe in him, and we get baptized. Then we don't have to worry about keeping law. We don't have to worry about sacrificing animals anymore. We don't have to worry about being good folks anymore. We're covered by grace. And people today think the very same thing. Why are you teaching the Old Testament? Why are you preaching the Old Testament? We're not under the law anymore. No, we're not. But the Old Testament teaches us God's heart. It teaches us God's attitude towards sin. It teaches us God's character. Remember, the Scripture says, even in the New Testament, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's attitude, God's hatred of sin has not changed. Everything that the Old Testament talks about how God views sin, still true today. God's attitude towards those who reject him and reject his authority and live under their own life and, and, and the punishment that will come. The Old Testament talks about punishment. That is still true today. If you reject the grace of God, if you reject the salvation that Jesus bought, if you reject the authority of God and his word in your life, then you will be judged when Jesus comes back and you will go to hell, not because God sends you there, but because you've rejected God and his Messiah and his salvation. You've rejected his authority and you've lived for yourself. That's still true today. That's an Old Testament teaching, but it's also a New Testament teaching. Jesus talks about it himself. Hell is real. Hell is hot. Hell is a place of, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of pain and suffering, eternally paying for sin that you refuse to let God pay for. Because then you had to surrender your heart and your life to him. So the Old Testament is absolutely, the prophets are absolutely as relevant today as they were before. Jesus said, don't think I came to do away with the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them and do away with them. I didn't come to, to do away with the requirement of obedience. I didn't do away with the, with the requirement of living differently than those who don't know God. I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill. Now what does it mean if he didn't come to do away with it? then why aren't we still sacrificing animals? Why aren't we still having to do all the, the things that he says? Why aren't we having to keep the letter of the law? Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, I believe it is, that, hey, we can't keep the law. The law was given to us to teach us what sin is and that we're sinners. It still is the, the holy standard of God. It is still the character of God. It's still the mind of God. It's still the requirement of God. The law was simply given to prove to us you can't be good enough. You need a Messiah. And Jesus came to fulfill the requirements of the law, the righteous requirements of the law. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 3, verses 20 through 22 or 23, that we're justified by faith, not by works. And, and that, that the faith in Christ when we surrender our hearts to him, when we die to ourselves and receive his salvation, then we receive the righteousness of Christ. A righteousness separate from the law, from keeping the law. But that doesn't do away with our requirement for righteousness and obedience. We receive the righteousness of Christ and we're pronounced just before God. 
But then later on, in I think it's chapter 4 through about 7, he says, well, since we're under grace, should we go on sinning? We can do what we want to now, because that's the natural thought of man. He said, may it never be. Why would you, who was once a slave to sin, submit yourself again to slavery to sin? When Jesus bought your freedom, we're to live free in Christ. But true freedom comes when we live according to God's word. We live under the authority of God. So all throughout Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, obedience is a necessity for a child of God. God hates sin. God judges sin. And until we receive the forgiveness of our sin and the righteousness of God, we are enemies of God. Well, the Bible says God loves the world, that God loves everybody. Absolutely, God does love everybody. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves you, but that doesn't do away with your sin until you submit yourself to him and receive the righteousness of Christ. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. He loves you, but that love also compels him not to force you to do something you do not want to do. Why does, why does, why does God allow us to go to hell? Why is there a place called hell? What Jesus teaches, and I think it's in uh, Matthew chapter 25, that hell was not developed. Hell was not created for humanity. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. Humanity chooses to go to hell because they refuse to submit themselves to the authority of God and receive his salvation and then live for him. And so if you don't want to live for God now, you don't want to live in relationship with God now in this life, he's not going to force you to go into eternity doing something you do not want to do. He loves you too much for that. So his love compels him to let you go. Constantly throughout your life, he's been preaching, he's been teaching, he's been calling you, he's been sending thoughts in your mind. His Holy Spirit has been convicting you of sin and your need for salvation and that, 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 that you need to surrender your heart and your life to God. But when you continually refuse and you refuse and you refuse, you may have a religious experience, but you don't submit yourself to the authority of God and surrender your life and deny yourself and die to yourself to be made alive in Christ, Jesus says, I can't save you. It's not that he's unable, it's because you refuse to be saved. You just want fire insurance. So Jesus says, don't think I came to do away with the law and the prophets. They are just as important today as they were before. I came to fulfill it and then give you the opportunity for a righteousness that the law can't provide. He says, I came to fulfill. And this is how important. Look at what he says. For I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away. Is heaven and earth gone? Okay. So the time, the limitation has not been met yet. So according to his word, it's still under effect, what he's about to say. Until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest jot or tittle, letter or stroke, not the most minute of commandments 
or meanings. Not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Until Jesus returns the second time and God judges sin and rewards the righteous and wipes away all trace of sin in heaven and earth with fire. And a new heaven and a new earth are brought. Until judgment day comes, every letter, no matter how big or small, every commandment, no matter how big or small, is still in effect. Now we can't earn our salvation by the law, but because we've been given our salvation in Jesus, fulfilling the requirements of the law, the righteous requirements, with his perfect sinless life. We can't live perfect, but he did. He died on the cross to buy our salvation, something we could not do. He was able to do in those three hours on the cross where God turned away and poured out his wrath on Jesus for all of humanity. He was able to do in three hours on the cross what we can't do in eternity because he lived a perfect sinless life. It'll take us eternity to pay for our sins because even our payment is contaminated by our sin. He came to fulfill, and, and one day everything, every righteous requirement of the law will be accomplished, but it will be accomplished on judgment day. So the law, in obedience to God, is still a requirement. Now, does that mean that we can't eat pork, that we can't do this or we can't do that, that I have to keep the list of the law, I've got to make sure I go down the Ten Commandments and Okay, I got I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got a checklist. I got to make sure I do all these things. I, I want you to to see what he says next because because he begins to answer those questions. He says, "Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven." Now, there's there's some argument between commentators what that means. Does that mean you won't get into the kingdom of heaven? Or does that mean that, that even though you're saved and you're trying to help people along, you get things wrong in your teaching? So you're going to be least in the kingdom of heaven rather than greatest. Does that mean because some teacher or even I as a pastor, I'm, I'm trying to teach the word as best I can, but I make, a, I make a mistake or I misunderstand something and I teach it inappropriately. Does that mean that I've lost my salvation now? Does that mean I'm not saved? I don't think it's what it means. But I think what it does mean is we need to be careful of what we live and what we teach. As parents, as grandparents, as friends of lost people, as friends of other Christians, as pastors, as Sunday school teachers, we need to be careful. We need to study to show ourselves approved, a workman not with no need to be ashamed. That's not just for preachers. You are teaching. When somebody asks you for advice or what do you think about this, if you're not giving them godly, Bible-based advice, you better check it and be careful. 
You may be saved, but if you're teaching other people, oh, well, you know, God loves you. He's okay with that, as long as you just love. And isn't that what the church so often teaches today? God is love. So as long as you love, it doesn't matter who you love. It doesn't matter if they're the same sex or an opposite sex. It doesn't matter what it is. As long as you just love them and you are committed to them, God's okay with that. That is so wrong. We also make excuses for a lot of other smaller things. Well, I just can't forgive them. I, I, I don't hate them, but if they is on fire, it's not just the big things. It's the little things. It's for that husband or wife that's a friend of ours that's going through trouble in their marriage and we just flippantly say well you just need to leave them oh my gosh god hates divorce he still does today you know i understand you just i know the boss wants you to do this and i know it's not very ethical and i know it, but hey just go along keep your job it's not a big deal just lie. Just budge here. It's okay. God hates dishonest person. God hates lying. He calls a lying tongue an abomination, just like he does homosexuality. We, we, we keep ourselves concerned with the big things. Jesus said, hey, it's the little things that are just as important. Because what happens is, we start compromising on the little things and we become, we become used to being our own boss and making excuses that, oh, oh, God understands, I'm under grace and it's all good. And then eventually it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and, and, and now we're involved in some pretty big stuff. That's the nature of sin. It starts off small. It starts off where nobody really notices, not even you. But then it will grow and it will transform your character and it will begin to transform your behavior and it will lead to bigger and bigger sins. And all of them, from the greatest to the smallest, are important to God. He hates sin. He cannot abide sin. And we're trampling underfoot the grace of the cross when we continue to live in our sin. And make excuses. Jesus says obedience matters. So we can't annul even the least of the commandments. Whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of God. When we give godly counsel, when we give godly advice, when we live according to the word of, uh, of God... And, and we teach others to live accordingly. And we encourage them to walk in Christ. And we encourage them to trust God in our righteousness and in our faithfulness. Man, that's when we experience the greatness in the kingdom. It's got nothing to do with position. It's got nothing to do with whether you're a pastor, a preacher, a teacher. Just a parent. A good friend. Giving godly counsel. Giving godly advice. Living godly. That's greatness in the kingdom of God because it's lacking so much. Verse 20. What is our righteousness supposed to be? 
It says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So what is our righteousness supposed to be? A surpassing righteousness. Now remember, the, Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees were the best at keeping the law. Paul even said of himself, said, when I was a Pharisee, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. As far as the law, blameless. And they, man, they kept the letter of the law. If it says to tithe mint and deal, Jesus talks about later, you tithe your mint and your deal. Man, you tithe everything right down to the very, very um, herbs you have in your cabinet. I tell you, I don't do that. He says, they're, they're great at keeping the letter of the law, but he's also the one that, that called them vipers. He's also the one that said to the Pharisees, you are like whitewashed tombs. Look great on the outside, good at keeping the letter of the law, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And I'm afraid that describes a lot of the church. Look good on the outside. And we come to church, we, we, we're good people, we don't... We don't we don't commit any big sins, you know. But on the inside, we're still just as dead as the person who's never heard the gospel, never had a religious experience with the Lord, who doesn't give anything about God. We're still just as dead as they are inside. Unless our righteousness surpasses outward expression. Unless our righteousness surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees. They were righteous. They did right things. They did a lot of good stuff. They obeyed the law. But in their hearts, they neglected the spirit of the law. It says you, you, you uh, tithe your mint and your deal, but you run widows and orphans out of their homes so that you can take over their property. You, you tithe your mint and your deal, but yet you're ruthless businessmen. You, you've forgotten the most important. You can keep the letter and miss the Spirit. So what produces the Spirit? Man, I, I'm, I'm going to read you some things that I, I got uh, from a, a commentary because it is so profound to me. Verse 20, he's talking about the what is a surpassing righteousness. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees does the order of God. So how do we develop a surpassing righteousness? The key is love. Look at what he says. He says this. The righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees does the orders of God. God says, I've got to do this, so I'm going to do it. Surpassing righteousness does the will of God. You know, you can do what God says and never do the will of God. What's the will of God? Jesus was asked one time, what's the greatest commandment? Greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets hinge on these two things. What's the similarity between the two? What is the connecting between those two commandments? Love. 
And that's what produces a surpassing righteousness that's beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, beyond just doing right things when people are looking. But it changes the heart. It's love. He continues. He said, Pharisees did good either because he was afraid of doing wrong. Isn't that what we do a lot of times? We do what's right only because we're afraid of the consequences if we do what's wrong. I'm just going to tell you, as a kid, most kids don't know about that today. But when I was a kid, the fear of getting my butt tore up kept me from doing a lot of bad things. It wasn't that I wanted to do good. It wasn't that I didn't want to do the bad things. I just knew if I did it, I was going to get a whipping. And sometimes I said, well, I'd do it anyway. I had a daughter that did that a lot. See, the Pharisees, they kept the law of God because they were afraid of God. They were afraid, if I don't do what's right, then, then God's going to punish me. If I don't do what's right, I'm going to get put in jail. If I don't do what's right, then I'm going to lose money. If I don't do what's right, God's going to get angry, and he's going he's to do some bad things to me. And that's the same attitude we have now. If something happens bad to a Christian, they think, well, God's mad at me. I didn't do what was right. I messed up. I, God's, God's hate. We, too often we've taught people in church even. Better do what's, what's right or you know God's going to get you. And we do that with our kids all the time. About man's law. You see a police, your kid's acting up in, church, in, uh, in the restaurant. The policeman walks in. Well, you better, you better behave or he's going to get you. He's going to arrest you. And that's the same thing we try and teach them about God. Well, you better do right or God's going to get you. Fear. Paul says love doesn't produce fear. The Pharisees do what's right either uh, because they're afraid of what's doing wrong or because he hoped by doing good to obtain the favor of God. Well, if I do good, then God's going to bless me. If I keep the commandments, God's got to make sure I've got everything I need. If I, if I, do, if I keep the commandments, uh, God, God's going to pour out his blessing. I'm going to get rich. I'm going to have plenty of houses, plenty of cars. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm, everything's going to be great. I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to catch COVID. So the, the motivation for the Pharisee, even though he's righteous, he does right out of fear of being punished by God or out of hopes that God will bless him because he's good. We've got so many church members who I don't think are kingdom members because that's how they live their life. They do what they do out of fear of God or in hopes, well, if I do this, man, if I, if I, I got to get back in church so God will bless me. I got to get back to do it. I got I to do this so God will make sure I, I, I get, man, we're having financial trouble, so I, I got to get back in church. My marriage is in a bind. I got to get back in church so God will bless me. We're no different. Unless our righteousness exceeds or surpasses that of the Pharisees. So what is a surpassing righteousness? The Christian, on the other hand, has both of these feelings. If you're a Christian, you, you, you know, we, <laughs> we want to do right so God will be happy with us. We want to do right so we don't experience the bad things of this world. You know, we, we, we speed, but yet we... Uh, I know there's cops usually around here, so I'm going to slow down here so I don't get a ticket. It's the same thing. 
I'm fear of punishment. And sometimes, even in our Christian walk, we, there's a fear of punishment. We have these feelings, but, or, or, or we, we, we say, well, man, I, I need to do this so the promises of God are ours. And the promises of God are for those who are obedient. That's just true. All of the promises of God are available to those who obey God. We, could, we, we can't live like we want to live and expect God to bless us. We can't do what we know is wrong and expect God to bless us. That's why so many Christians don't understand this, especially young Christians, even older Christians now. People who are members of church have been in, in a relationship with God for a long time, but will still live together without being married and then want God to bless they're married. I, you don't know how many people have come to me as a pastor and that are living together and say, look, I want you to pray for me. I want you, I want, I want, man, I want, I want you to pray for us. I want, I, want, I want God to bless us. I want, sweetheart, God's not going to bless what his word says is sin. He's not going to do it. And so we, we want God's blessing, and that is a motivation for doing right. But surpassing righteousness is this. It says the Christian has both of these feelings, but neither is his motivation, his motivation or his motive is love. He is loved, and he loves back again. He, in it, it is the love in which motives or motivates the service, and by love the righteousness surpasses. We, we obey God because we love him. What Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Love is our motivation for obedience. It's not because we're trying to win God's favor. It's not because we're trying to be righteous enough to stay out of hell and, and earn our way to heaven. We, we love because he first loved us. We obey because we love him for, for what he's done for us. We sing about it. We sing about it all the time. We, we study in scripture what God has done for us. We celebrate the salvation. We celebrate this justification that's ours. We celebrate all this stuff. And those things should motivate us to obedience. Because we don't have to earn God's favor anymore. And we don't have to fear judgment anymore. Because we're a child of God. Our, our lives are, are safe in the hands of Jesus. We believe the, the, the security of the saint. The security of our salvation. And, and, and so we're, we're saved. And that can never be taken away. And that should motivate us to live for God. For a Christian, the motivation is not fear. And it's not favor. It's love. Because he first loved me. And while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And I've been given a righteousness, not of the law, but a righteousness of Jesus Christ. I have made this great transaction, my sin, for his righteousness. And I'm clothed in righteousness. God sees me as justified. Oh my gosh, the more we understand that, the more we want to please him, the more we want to serve him, the more we want to live for him. And if we're going to have the righteousness that surpasses that of the Pharisees, it's not that we need to do more. We need to love more. You have, many of you have met Don Phillips, pastor friend of mine from Arkansas. He's came here and preached a couple times on our wonderful Wednesdays. And one time we were talking about different things. And, you know, 
as, as staff does a lot of times, we'll complain about because people aren't giving what they need to give. People aren't doing what they need to do. People aren't coming to church when they need to come. We, we focus on all those kind of things. And, and, and he, in the middle of that staff meeting, he, he looked at all of us and said, guys, we don't have a doing problem. We got a loving problem. We don't do the things we're supposed to do because we don't love God enough. If we love God, the doing would be easy. That's how we get a surpassing righteousness. That's why Jesus said that keeping my commandments will not be burdensome. Because you love me. And the people that we love are the people we are willing to sacrifice the most for. Is there anything you wouldn't give to make sure your children were okay? Is there anything you wouldn't do to make sure that your mom and dad are taken care of? Why? Because you love them. So the doing and the sacrificing is easy. We go above and beyond we would do for anybody else. Why? Because we love them more than we love anybody else. Same thing with your spouse. How are you able to have the marriage that honors God? It's because you love them more. It's not because you do more. You do more because you love them more. Love God and love people. Then the law and the prophets become easy. Obedience becomes natural. It becomes an overflow of our love for God. And when we know we're doing wrong, it breaks our heart. Not because God's mad at us. Not because we might lose our salvation. It's because I know I'm offending the one who died for me. Who loved me so much. He sent his son to die for me. He purchased my salvation. That's why it breaks my heart over my, my sin. That's the difference in love. That's a surpassing righteousness. I want to ask you today, if you're here and you've never accepted Christ, you've never surrendered your heart and your life to Him and received His gift of salvation, I beg you today, let this be today, because hell is real. Judgment is real. You will not be good enough to get into heaven. There is no way. The Pharisees couldn't, and they're way better at doing right thing than you are. Or I am. The only hope of salvation is the blood of Jesus that cleanses us of all unrighteousness. But to receive that forgiveness, you've got to deny yourself, take up the cross daily, and follow Him. You've got to surrender your heart and your life to Him. You don't invite Him in to be a part of your life. You die, and your life becomes hidden in Him. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's biblical salvation. And then grow in love with Him. You get to know Him more and you love Him more and you begin to obey Him more. Church, I want to ask you, maybe you've been saved for a long time. You know you're saved, but you know you ain't doing right either. My question is, what's your righteousness like? Like Pharisees, you do things out of fear of 
doing what's wrong and getting punished for it? Or you do things so that God will be happy with you and bless you? Or do you have a surpassing righteousness? You obey God out of an overflow of love for God because of what God has done for you. That's going to make the difference. The only righteousness that is the righteousness of Christ. The only righteousness that's produced in salvation. It's lived in a surpassing righteousness out of love for God. Let's stand.